Hey folks, welcome back to Wise Guy Talks episode 47. We're going to talk about the gift that keeps on giving. And that's our friend, our man, Mr. Hicksonbaugh, our uh, kind of a journalist. Is he? Oh yeah, he's an investigative journalist down in Houston, Texas, working for the big guy, Mr. Lester Holt, up there in New York City. So come right back. We're going to talk about episode 47. I think we're going to call this Media Malpractice. You like that? That's good. Okay. Hey, welcome back to Wise Guy Talks episode 47. We're going to change this up just a little bit. Uh, one of our uh, highly intellectualized research specialists, Mr. Robert, is going to kind of lead this show today. Robert, are you ready? I'm ready. Take it away. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, so Mr. Hicksonbaugh, um, his latest article, so if you remember Mike Hicksonbaugh, he was the one, in, you know, on January 22nd released the, uh, the article about, uh, about Miss Cornish. And um, this, this latest one he released, uh, I guess, about a week ago now, um, he got vilified all over social media. So I thought it, it makes sense to go through this one. I want to fact check him in a few spots because uh, he missed a few things. So I, I, I think to open it up, I'm just curious, I know you guys read it. What did you guys think about this article compared to the last one? I thought, I, I thought he used some really flowery language that were a little bit uh, not exactly accurate. He used words like bitterly divided. And maybe in Houston or New York City, they have a different idea of bitterly divided. But when you win by a 70% margin, I would say that probably doesn't qualify as being bitterly divided. But that's just me. I'm crazy like that one. No, I think that he has doubled down on the narrative. He's not interested in the truth. Um, this article, I mean, we can pick it apart, but he starts with the premise that he always had. He's not willing to change his viewpoint based on anything anyone says or even objective facts. It's fundamentally dishonest and overly focused on race. Well, one thing I had a problem with the whole thing is that he he was actually here a few days, right, trying to interview people, but... uh. He didn't really interview any one of the conservative uh, people. And the other thing is that the article mentioned diversity plan. It was not a diversity plan that the, the, the people of Southlake were against. We were against a CCAP, which is a na not a diversity plan. So we're going to dive into a lot of these points that, that you guys just brought up. I, I think one of the things, I'm going to show him a little more grace, and I'll tell you why. I think the, the article from January 20, uh, 22nd was a complete and utter fabrication. I think the entire premise of the article was a lie. Robin Cornish hasn't lived here in 13 years. She, she bent over backwards to keep her kids in schools. And they had, to, they had to lie about that to maintain a narrative of racism. In this particular case, I think there's at least some accurate reporting in here. So I, I've got to give him a little bit of grace. So, so you so, no, I'm going I'm to push back a little bit. So I, I would agree with you that this isn't over the top. There wasn't necessarily fabrications in here. But while he relies on being technically factually correct in what he does say, he does manipulate the facts to the point where he may be factual, but he's not always truthful. So I can give specific examples of that, right? Where so, yep. Look at the... The evil pack. But there's no discussion of any packs on the other side. Uh, fair. Right? Fair. There's no discussion. There's discussion of the Texas Open Meetings Act. But there's no discussion whatsoever. And, and, and he, let me highlight. Oh, and it's a misdemeanor as if it's not a big deal. Right. But what's he saying about the insurrectionists from January 6th who are 
who are being convicted of trespassing, which right. is a misdemeanor. Right. Um, what about the VOCA? No, not even a single shred word, syllable was expended on explaining how the administration was misusing the potential VOCA grant. So I, I agree with I agree with one on that point, and and I will concede your point uh, because I'm going to go through a couple of areas here. One in particular, as it relates to the Tarrant uh, Democratic Party tweet, where he is factually inaccurate in my view, and I'll walk you through it. And guy brought some some new evidence for you. I know we did some of that in a previous episode. Well, let's let's dive in then, and let's talk about because the the, the on Twitter at least. Uh, which is where I, I follow most of, of the news outlets. He was vilified over this headline, and I, I'm going to read the headline, and you can put this up on the screen, guy, if you want. In bitterly divided election in South Lake, Texas, opponents of anti-racism education win big. And so, what he really got tore up on was this bitterly divided. And I, I brought a few, you know, quotes. You know, Ben Shapiro uh, called out four different elections around the world. And the tweet rate reads, you know, one of these things is not like the other. And what he's pointing out is like the, the abortion referendum in Ireland that won at 66% NBC described as a landslide, yet they describe this 70% victory as bitterly divided. Um, you've got uh, Stephen Miller tweeted about it. Stacey Washington tweeted about it. Dave Rubin came right out and called it fake news. Laura Ingram. So I, I'm going to share some of these tweets so you can put them up on the screen. Yeah. He got vilified in social media over this, but he justified it as saying, at least what I read, because he tweeted about it, that, well, it was actually a bitter, bitter campaigns. But my point is, aren't all campaigns bitter? Yeah, they are to some extent. Yeah. I, I want to point out something that I think everyone overlooked. Because right, they're so focused on the bitterly divided part. Not, and, and by the way, for the record, I agree with the conservative commentators that have taken him to task over that language because I think it's ridiculous. But they've let slide here this opponents of anti-racism education in the headline. Fair. Okay? And that is, a loaded, that is loaded terminology. And nowhere in here is there any discussion about what anti-racist education or anti-racist curriculum is. So it's, you know, someone that's not paying attention would look at this and say, well, anti-racism, who'd be against that? Okay, but anti-racism means something very specific, and it actually is racist, which is why the, we have opponents at the 70% margin. That was never brought anywhere out in this uh, article or anywhere, anything else he's ever written. All right, I don't want to jump the monkey. Are you going to talk about where he tries to exculpate himself on the Alan West audio? Are you going to bring that up? I wasn't, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so he produces a recording, <laughs> which brings up some questions in and of itself, but I'll just leave them out there for now. <clears throat> and basically, it's a private, or it's a conversation. I won't go as far as to say it's private, but it's a conversation between the two of them on a phone. And this supposedly it's exculpates his reporting on the entire issue here in Southlake of the systemic racism and the narratives or the narrative, the foundation that he he's built most of his stories on, whether it's Nikki being booed or Robin Cornish being run out of town, you know, by a bunch of white supremacists, all built on extremely shaky foundations. And someone I just found it ironic that he publishes this audio and then he goes on to say that this is the reason that I did it. This this is my excuse. This exculpates me. Did anybody else hear the audio? Or am I the I, only one? 
Yeah, I heard it, and I I, I struggled I, to find. I was couldn't there anything find it. in there that that Colonel West said that I wouldn't have said. I don't think there's anything in there that I disagreed with. I thought he was on the mark. Well, I think what happened was um, on social media, uh, and it may have been Dana Lash, and if I'm incorrect on that, I apologize to Miss Lash. But um, he, he there was some suggestion that the PR firm that the school hired had oh, tipped them gosh. off to this story, and so that's why he released the audio. But I, I, the bigger piece about that for me is why he took interest. And I, I'll be frank, I, I think he is an ally of the movement. And oh, when sure. he heard the story as an ally, he believed it was his job to come up here and label our town racist. And in fact, there was, um, there was a, a post by, and I didn't bring it with me, by one of the Sark, she's not a kid because she's in her 20s, but one of the Sark members that's a former graduate that said, she said the shot, most shocking thing to her was that the national media didn't cause us shame, right? And that was the whole point of Hicksonbaugh and, and everybody else was to shame us into submission and silence. And they're, they're baffled that, that there are people that will, of character who will stand up to lies and they don't know what Absolutely. to do about it. Wait, let me go right back to what you yeah. were saying though. And you know, if, if I'm a reporter and I want to make a name for myself. And he's a junior reporter. He's doing his his thing, trying to build up his cred points along with uh, Miss Hilton Antonia, which, by the way, I have a great selfie with them. I think I'll put this on this episode so everybody can see it. <laughs> yeah. And and the and then the mask crowd came out with their mask, and so I grabbed one of the masks and I handed it to uh, one of to, the signs. Yeah, one of the signs. I handed the sign to Mike. And you would have thought I was trying to hand him a pound of nuclear fissile fiss material because he jumped about 10 feet up in the air. And the only thing wrong was you didn't have, or whoever the person that sounds like you, didn't have a video camera going yeah. to take a photograph of yeah. it. That's too bad. But the point that I want to make to you guys, uh, Cato, is that uh, if I'm a reporter, I'm going to look around. I'm going to assess the battlefield. And I'm going to say that's where the war is. That's where I want to go. We've got, what, 10,000 people coming across our border daily. He's living in Houston, Texas. Why didn't he drive his ass down to the border and report on something really important? Or why didn't he go to New York and report on a governor that's killed 12,000 seniors because of his moronic COVID-19 programs? Why didn't he pick something like that that actually shows from a, how would we say this in Espanol, some cajones? Am I right on that? You'd have to be a reporter <laughs> if you really wanted to do those things. That's what um, angers other me. Other than an activist, which yeah. is what, what I, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Mike Hicksonball, if you're listening... You're, he, a damn, you're nothing more is. than a damned activist. And I'd be glad to tell you that to your stupid face. Yeah. And yeah, I'm starting to get angry, so well, I'm stop. I, he, he's a nice, you know. No, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by, uh, by no, civility on the telephone yeah. or whatever. Fair enough. But he was actually pretty civil when I put a semi-bear hug on him and asked him for a selfie. I'm just saying. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean to distract. You're, no, you're on a roll. No. You? So the, the, the other thing I, I wanted to talk about, did you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Well, let, let's go back to the bitterly divided. Sure. Which side is bitter? <laughs> that's, that's a, a, that's that's a, a really fair question. question. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't feel bitter. Right? Not me. Yeah. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is that, that we, we, didn't, we didn't start this fight. We never did. We, we, didn't, we didn't approach the school and try to put a program in that, that was going to teach, you know, our, our political views to their kids. So they started the fight, correct. but we're going to end it. Yeah, we're not. The, the other thing that, and I see this a lot, I see this a lot in all of the reporting and I call them euphemisms. They, they, 
and somebody alluded to this a minute ago, they call this a diversity plan throughout, right? And what they hope people will read that and think, oh, this is like at work, you know, when we talked about diversity, we had diversity training, you know, 15 years ago at work. And why would these people be opposed to this? For them to be opposed to this, they must be crazy racist. Alt-right. 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 A Christian nationalist racist, right? That's what these people are. By, and, the, by the way, let me do an ad for www.altright.com. You can go ahead and <laughs> yeah. join your membership. <laughs> I, I wonder how many people like uh, Bjorn and uh, Bud, Buddy sitting there going, I wonder if there really is an alt-right.com. So, but but I, I think, I'm just curious what you, your thoughts are on why they're all doing, why they're, you know, the one thing I will say, and I, I don't want to get off on another tangent, but I will say that and you guys may not have seen it yet, and Antonia Hilton's latest segment on NBC News, which were, it released either, I saw it last night or this morning, um, she actually read Hannah's statement. And in Hannah, Hannah Smith's statement, she calls it critical race theory training. I was actually shocked that they read that part of the statement. But in all these articles that I'm reading, they avoid calling it what it is, which this is critical race theory. Yeah, so they use the, in the article, they use a opponents of anti-racism or opponents of diversity plan. Now, to me, that's media deception. Yeah, I mean, we're starting to see in the national media, all over social media, you didn't see this a month ago. You're seeing everybody's coming out now and saying, all these people, all these conservatives talking about critical race theory, they don't even know what critical race theory is. We've explained in great detail on this program what it is. Yep. It's easy to look it up. We already know. And they start with they start with a premise. They start with a narrative. When they start with the narrative and the premise of, not did racism occur, but rather how did racism manifest itself? Guess what? That's critical race theory. Because yeah. you're already saying there's systemic racism. You want to acknowledge it. Um, we don't acknowledge it because it doesn't exist. The system isn't racist. There may be racist people out there. There may even be racist people running parts of the system. So root out those people. But the system itself is not racist. Yeah. In an op-ed that I wrote for a, a burgeoning new world-class a uh, blog site called Wise Guy Talks Blog. <laughs> I, I wrote a story called uh, Trojan Horse Comes to Town. And in that, I create the simple two-step process that they follow time and time again. It's simple. Simply, it's false narrative followed by false uh, conclusion. And upon that, they're able to be like the classic camel that sticks his nose up underneath the tent to figure out what's going on and then make his presence known at that point. And that's exactly what they did. And they're doing it. You see the same cookie-cutter model time and time again it's the charge of racism that's supposed to paralyze everybody within the community we can't we're frozen we can't do anything because we called it racist and so as a result we can't do anything and that's kind of what happened by the way they had about eight months of free reign on our city and our school board until they woke the sleeping giant and that's when we said enough of this crap yeah and that also goes back to why they're using the term diversity plan we know the left is always trying to weaponize the language. They're always trying to hide definitions, change definitions to suit their political ends. But you know what? Let's concede for a moment. I'll say, you know what? I'll give you uh, that you have d diversity plans at work. But we're not talking about work. My child is not a corporate, you know, automaton. She is in the school trying to get an education. And what is education about? Is it about being diverse? Or is it about learning how to be fully human and treat other people as human beings, as individuals? They need, to, they need to be learning about natural rights and constitutional rights. 
and those kinds of things, not diversity training. Training says it all. I, th- I think you hit it on the head, exactly yeah. my thoughts, which are they, they're using euphemisms to describe it because if they told you what it really was, they know most Americans would, be, would not be for it. And that's the reason they're doing it. So they're hiding behind the language, which is exactly what Juan was saying. Um, you know, the other thing that I'm seeing a lot in the media, and this is an assumption that's built into reporting, so I'm going to read this, and I'll give, you this, give this to you guys so you can put it on the screen. It says, in an unusually bitter campaign that echoed a growing national divide over how to address issues of race, gender, gender, and sexuality in our schools. And so when you read that sentence, what's embedded is assumed in it is that the schools must address issues of race, gender, and sexuality in schools. Why? And, I, I, and I'm open to... to to being wrong, but I'm not sure that's the school's place to address these issues. Isn't it really their job to teach our kids how to read, write, and do... Well, isn't that what we just talked to Marcus about? By the way, if you guys haven't heard, go back to episode 46. It's killer. We had Marcus Aurelius over here. He came in from Rockwall, and he spoke directly to this, guys. Uh, Well, and this presumption is exactly why they want to impact and change the curriculum. Yeah. Right? They want to take that authority away... That's parental authority. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't address in the school, on school grounds, when you have an incident where one person, one individual, one human being treats another human being unfairly because of their immutable characteristics. Of course, you address that. You address it on the spot. You explain to people how they should relate to one another as human beings. You don't need to change the entire curriculum to try to import equity and and give people different goal lines based on the fact that one person's male, one person's female, another person doesn't identify either way. One person's one color, another person's another color. I mean, where does it end? Right. Yeah. Well, but let's go back to the predicate. And that's why are they doing this in the first place? And I think it's just straight up Marxism 101 where the kids become a ward of the state. And they, they know that how important it is generationally to to uh, inculcate the next generation of kids to believe this garbage. And that, to me, is straight up what it's all about. Caleb, do you have something? Okay. So I I agree with everything. The next thing that I noticed in the article was, and and this is a trend I'm I'm seeing more nationally than in local writing, but this trend of calling out the race of every character in the article. And so I counted eight times. Uh, and so I'm just going to read a few of those. Uh, Hannah Smith, who is white. Hernandez, an immigrant from Mexico. Um, a video of white Carroll High School students. Uh, George Floyd was killed by a white police officer. Uh, in a board meeting, a white father said something. Jason Rudman, a white father. Jennifer Huff, a white mother. And uh, Nikki Alalea, a black 12th grade. Why all of a sudden... <laughs> Do we have to include the skin color of everyone we talk about in an article? I find it bizarre. It's but, straight but, up a race fixation. But no, no Asian that spoke up. We didn't. Right. I didn't have one. But yeah, because I, you're adjacent. Right. But, but, but it's it's more than race fixation. This is a prime example of critical race theory in action. So you leftists out there that say it's not in there. I don't see it. There it is. The value of someone's opinion or the idea they espouse, is completely dependent upon the race of the person, according to this article. It's implied. It's not overtly stated, but it's implied in there. But, but let me ask this then. So 
if, if we're going to go fully intersectional, then why aren't they revealing their sexual identity and maybe even their religious identity? Seriously, why isn't it a white cisgender Christian? Word why? limit? Word, Word limit. limit on the article? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, I, find it, I find it really odd. Yeah, but also they, they cherry picking. Well, I, I'm going to get to that next. Okay. Right. Well. So, so the one, there's one person, that, one character in this article that they did not call the race of. And that was um, the mother that filed the lawsuit. Why yeah. do you think they would have left that one race <laughs> yeah, out? Yeah, because it doesn't fit because, the narrative. Because that person isn't white. <laughs> yeah. There's another person too, though. And it, you know, it's in the caption in the picture. And it's not technically part of the report. But school board candidate Ed Hernandez embraces his wife, Jennifer, after learning of his defeat. Blah, blah, blah. I didn't. They, they so left, they, they left, they the left out the white. white. The other thing I noticed is anywhere they said black, they capitalized the word black. Yeah, I noticed why, that. Too. Why are you doing that? Is, uh, where, where is that in the Chicago style manual? I'm not, I'm not tracking. Or the New York Times. Is that not, uh, you know, racism 101? One race is uh, superior over another? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a serious question. So, and one of the other things, being a photographer, uh, uh, I used to do trial photography. I couldn't help but noticing all, all the photographs they took of their key characters. They look very stoic, so statuesque, strong jog. They're all looking into the future, and they kind of remind me of bronze looking for a statue in every one of those photographs. <laughs> Sorry. So one of the other things I, I noticed was... And more euphemism, but I want to talk a little bit about this because Hickenbaugh has to know uh, no different. And and he wrote, and again, I'll give this to you, guy. A plan called for mandatory. I'm sorry. The plan called for mandatory cultural sensitivity training for all Carroll students and teachers. Right. So we know because we I, I saw Wise Guy Talks episode 41, and I heard Renee James the recording of Renee James training. And, and that was exactly what was, I think that was objective 1.2 in the CCAP. Did that sound like cultural sensitivity training to you guys? Well, it depends on who's hearing it as to what it sounds like for you and me. I kind of think not. I, I mean, intersectionality or it is uh, institutional racism, right? I, I mean, intersections of identity. It, it, I, yeah. I don't, that's, that's what cultural sensitivity training is. Yeah. Th- and that goes back to the point at the very beginning I was making about the overlooked part of the headline. This is the anti-racist Ibram X. Kendi curriculum imported into our school district 101. Right. That's based on critical race theory. There's no doubt about it. The proof is in the pudding. I, you know, the, the left used, loves to use the dog whistle. And I got to tell you that that story, these stories that we're referencing right now, these are some of the loudest dog whistles I think I've ever heard in my life. I agree. I, I agree. You know, the other, the other thing about it is, though, and we've heard this for almost a year now, that CCAP isn't critical race theory. <laughs> they, they say they say you show us in the document where it says critical race theory, but it's yet, implicit. It's it right. We now have the training one week after. This happened one week after the board accepted the plan. So you know Renee James. You don't just start working on training the week before, right? You, you work on that a month or two ahead of time. She already had the training planned, assuming the CCAP was, was going to be approved. And then she probably dialed it back, frankly, because, because the plan did only, only got received and not approved. So 
it is critical race theory. She was teaching critical race theory. So anybody that says CCAP is not critical race theory, they're being disingenuous. How do you think this, how do you think the superintendent is viewing all this? He's got to, he's got to be hearing the stuff that wise guys are, you know, the hounds are producing here. He's got to be seeing this. I hope he is. And, but he doesn't see, it doesn't seem to be affecting him. Am, am I missing something here? I don't, no, I just don't I, see it. I, I wouldn't say it's not affecting him. I'm saying that he's probably paralyzed by it to some extent because he doesn't know which way is the right way to go. Well, how could he not know the right way to go? Well, when I say right, I don't mean right in terms of morality. I mean right as in what's his best option. You mean politically. But, I mean politically. But, but if you're interested in the political portion of it, let me just remind you of two numbers, 70 and 30. Well, <laughs> you have to think about the composition of the school board also and what does the future hold. Yeah. And that's another discussion. Yeah, it is. We it don't is. need to get All right, continue on, sir. So the, the, here's the last thing. And this is, this is really the fact checking. So, uh, and, and again, we, we know Mr. Hicksonbaugh is listening to podcasts and he should know better. Uh, and this, this one in particular, we tore apart, but I want to, I want to read this. He says the Tarrant County democratic party briefly posted and then deleted an image on social media labeling all of the candidates candidates who oppose the diversity plan as racist. So, so it is accurate that it was on the Tarrant County democratic party, Twitter feed, but we know because we heard episode 34 that they had handed the mic over to Sark. And now he mentioned Sark was South Lake anti-racist coalition. He mentioned Sark later in the article. Why wouldn't he call it out here that Sark actually w were, were the authors of the tweet, right? So, so on Sark's feed, and we, again, we covered it on 34, they said, thank you so much for featuring us at Tarrant Democratic Party. And then on the Tarrant County Democratic Party feed, they said, tonight we're handing the mic over to South Lake Arc. So there's no question about who the author of it was. Why wouldn't he call that out? Right. He didn't do that. Yeah, I, didn't. I found that interesting. So, and here's why I think he did that. He did he did that because to to include Sark would you you would be calling out the tweet that came later, right, from the official Democratic Party feed when they said an unauthorized party was given access to the Twitter account signed by Deborah Peoples, right? And Deborah Peoples is. Running for mayor. Running for mayor. Life. And by the way, let's just throw in a soundbite here. Yep. You, you really may want to take another look at Miss Peoples before you push the vote button for that uh, young lady. Right. They're, they're in a runoff, right, between yep. Deborah Peoples and, and Maddie Parker. And hopefully someone on Maddie Parker's campaign is listening to this because this this is a lie. And, and Miss Peoples injected herself into South Lake politics. And then when she got caught, she lied about it. Of course, but that's, yeah. that's the modus operandi. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to bring up on this, though, is I want to call attention to the word briefly. What does that mean to you guys? When, you, when, when they say the Tarrant County Democratic Party briefly posted and then deleted an image, what does briefly mean to you? you I mean, made a mistake. I would expect that, yeah, you would posted it and then, oh, maybe I shouldn't Oops. have posted that or I made an error or whatever, and you take it down, if not immediately, yeah. You know, within a, a reasonable amount of time, yeah. Yeah. an hour, hour, maybe. Is that what you guys think? But how long was it up there? Well, so let's walk through it. So it just so happens that I, I saved the original screenshot of it. 
And the Glad original on our side, right, by the way. The, the original post went up on March 30th at 9.53 p.m. I found it on April 1st and snapped a picture of it at 6.56 p.m. And I know this because I have all the data on the, on the screenshot, which I've, I've shared with you guys, so you can put that on the screen. So after I found it, somebody else had posted it in a private uh, Facebook group. And that didn't go public until the morning of April 2nd. So I, I, I hadn't put it on Facebook. So on April 2nd, that morning, people started commenting on it in that private group. And John Huffman, mayoral candidate in Southlake, saw mayor. it. New mayor, sorry. Yep, mayor-elect, I guess, in Southlake, uh, saw it. And he put that on his candidate page with a really nice statement, condemning it. So the tweet was then deleted, I believe, on April 2nd around 7 p.m. And here's why I think that. Because Alicia Rorca posted a comment on it. I happened to snap a shot of that and have the timestamp of it. And so it was 12 hours. I, I, I screenshotted it 12 hours after she made the post saying that it had been deleted. So it was up from March 30th at 9 p.m. to April 2nd at about 7 p.m. So that's about 45 hours. Is that brief? Yeah. Yeah. No, I would not categorize it no, really. as brief. R- remind me again. What's the relationship between Tarrant County Democratic Party, Move Tarrant Forward, um, Dignity board? for All Texas, Students? I mean, they're all part of this oh, as I'll, well. Uh, no question about it. I yeah. think it's all part of the, the, the Turn Texas Blue crowd. So I, I guess what we've got my question here. would be, why the focus on... I mean, as, as soon as he starts talking about a pack, it's this, you, you know, what do you immediately think of when you hear the word pack? You immediately think of these fat cats trying to manipulate elections mm-hmm. to benefit their personal, you know, in, in, enrichment interests. Um, but that's, first off, we know that's not what South Lake Families Pack was ever about. Right. Secondly, no mention whatsoever of PACs supporting the other side. But they right. know, we know they were. Absolutely. They, they, they have a vocabulary of power words, and these words are very Orwellian, 1984-ish. And the whole idea is it's not the actual meaning of the word. It's the emotion that it evokes. And when they use PAC associated with conservatism, that's a bad thing. But when it's act blue, um, well, that's a good thing. So that, that's the duality. That's the world of opposites. That's Crazyville that they live in. I th- the thing that found me that I found really interesting, though, about this is I'm pretty sure that he listened to your podcast, and I'm pretty sure that he knew the facts of this. And so, are, who are we talking about? now? My kicks and bottom. Okay, yeah, my well, kicks oh, for and bottom. Sure. Right? Well, I know that because it, he quoted me as saying, "I, I, I put up one of my early. I think it was uh, a Trojan Horse Comes to Town." I said that, uh, and that goes way back. He goes. I put in there, so goes South Lake, so goes the rest of the United States. Right. He actually quoted me on that recently. Really right. Recently. So I, I know for a fact, hey, Mike, how you doing, brother? <laughs> but, but think about it. If, if, he had, if he had stated the I'm actually surprised he even included this in the article at all. But had he stated the facts that Sark, a group that supported CCAP, posted a tweet calling the candidates racist, and it was up for two days, and they only took it down after they got caught, that doesn't paint that side quite the same way right right it doesn't paint that side quite the same way and that's why he did it well and their panoply of colors the only color they have is blue so yeah. they're not worried about being yeah. stuff other than blue well I'll, I'll tell you so 
I, I don't have much more to say about this, but, but I would say, look, we know Hicksonbaugh listens. Um, and so he has to know that what he's writing is false and misleading and, and there's no excuse, but, but I have a, I have a deal. I have a deal. Um, Mr. Hicksonbaugh, if you will send us your articles before you publish them, <laughs> we will fact check them for like free. <laughs> no charge for the research. What? N- no charge for Come the intellectual on. curiosity. <laughs> Honestly, guy, it'll save us trouble because we, we're going to check. We're going to do the work anyway. He'll just save us the trouble of having to record the podcast. So that's our offer to Mr. Hicksonbaugh. You know, one of the really malicious, nefarious, schadenfreude uh, aspects of this whole thing is that one of these knuckleheads, they put out this lie, and then it's like the shot that's around, heard around the world. Next thing you know, New York Times picks up the, t- the lie, and then they just exponentially multiply the problem. And that's exactly what happened. New York Times picked up one of these stories. Oh, yeah, remember the uh, podcast I did called The Big Boo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, was, it clearly showed that that boo did not occur for at least a full minute and a half after Miss Nikki went on there and, and, and she talked about BLM and then she kind of turned around, she looked at the audience and she's like, I dare you, any of you, so, say something. So you know what I found? I found an article that I, that I hadn't previously been aware of because um, it was quoted in the New York Times and it was, and I may get her name, I think it's Talia, I think her name is Talia Richmond. I, I may have that wrong, but she, she writes for the Dallas Morning News. She was actually the first one to report that lie, that Nikki Alalea was booed. And then the New York Times picked it up. But in between is when Hicksonbaugh wrote his article. Well, it's interesting that the boo video is actually on YouTube. Right. Go watch it. Oh, the, is it? The comments on there, 99% are like not in favor of the speaker. Of course not. Of course not. You, you have to be prejudiced to the point of not living in the world, the realm of reality, to think that, that Miss Nikki got booed because she said BLM. No, she got booed because she basically held up her middle finger and told everybody to go F themselves. That's I right. I mean, everybody there knew clearly what she was saying when she goes, uh, I rest my time. What is that the saying? I yield my time. I yield my time. And, and, you know, I provided a link to the video that specifically shows what that meant. She knew it. Uh, Michelle Moore, uh, the school board president, knew what it meant. She had warned him at least a dozen times not to use it. And, and no respect for the proceedings whatsoever. Well, and this, you know, goes back to the whole issue of uh, the dishonesty that we've seen. Duplicity. You know, the reporters lamented, and they even say in here, they talk about, you know, another a woman shouted over her shoulder, it's a great town, after declining to speak to reporters. And they lament the fact that conservatives don't want to speak to them. And they, they say they don't understand why, but that's why. Because well, they know that, that uh, they, they won't get a fair hearing. And, that, you know, they're still making the argument. They're still out there saying, we want to tell your story. No, you don't. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. They, you, have, you have our objections. You know exactly what they are. They've got 10 minutes. They've got 10 full minutes of footage that I posted up of Cato being interviewed. And you know right. how much of that they used? None of it. Zero. Right. They've got about 10 minutes of you. And how much of that did they use? 30 seconds. 30 seconds. That hardly told the narrative. So I wonder why, and I thought it was kind of funny, you know, the word went out, don't talk to NBC. And I think it worked <laughs> pretty damn well because, you know, the best they could do is stand over and get photographs of the peanut well, gallery. Well, That's I've, about I've it. also heard, I, I, I don't know this for sure, it's speculation, you know, maybe, but I've heard from other people 
that the, one of the reporters had said, yeah, they've acknowledged that they have this footage of me and Cato, but they want to talk to people. Maybe that, I think the words were maybe that aren't so extreme. So, <laughs> so if I'm my the, position is extremist, I'd like to know what in my position is exactly extremism. <laughs> so yeah. I'm the extreme guy, right? Right. You're, an ex- you're a Vietnamese extremist. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've often thought it. I mean, you can't a, get more ridiculous than this. I'm a white adjacent <laughs> Right, extremist. white adjacent. That's a new term, yeah. Oh, my God. My. I can't breathe. Oh, my gosh. Okay, don't misinterpret that. I really meant that. I can't breathe. I'm just laughing my ass off here. So, uh, anyhow, great episode. Anybody have any closing so- thoughts before we wrap up 47? You have our offer, my kicks and bye. <laughs> Save you a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, once again, thank you guys very much. Uh, we're going to call this more media malpractice. We're going to wrap uh, 47. And if you've listened to this one and you haven't listened to 46, please go back and listen to Marcus Aurelius. He knocked it out of the park. Don't you guys agree with that? Yeah, yeah he, he was outstanding. just blew it. Come up here from Rockwall. And uh, if, if you're trying to figure out how to fight this within your community, you know, we are kind of laying out a roadmap for you guys. Go back to about 38 and start listening to our podcast from 38 on. And, you know, we're specifically talking to you guys on how you can fight these guys and realize that, of course, NBC can come up with an anti your town, you know, paint your entire city as a racist. And the problem you have is 10 million people are going to see that within a snap of a finger. For us, you know, if I get 6,000 views, that means I knock it out of the park. But I think if there's enough of us getting 6,000 views out there, we can start to counter the voice. Just one thing for the people that want to fight back. The key to this whole thing, whether it's fact checking the media or speaking at your school board or getting together with a group of like-minded individuals to, to pull your resources, the key is to speak. The key is to make yourself heard. When the left tries to suppress your voice, they are trying to make you not a person. Your personhood is bound up in what your, your ability to speak and express yourself. Never forget that. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Man, you have a sticky mind. I'm just envious of people that can just <laughs> extemporaneously say that kind of stuff. That's killer. Hey, wrap it up. 47 gone. You guys take care. God bless America.